Beloved congregation, how offended the spiritual leaders of Israel were with the person and ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not only had he made the bold statement that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will in no wise enter the kingdom of heaven, but they were so offended by the company that he kept. Because all through his ministry, who were the ones that flocked to him? Who were the ones that came to hear him? Publicans and sinners. In Luke 5, we read how Levi, the publican, despised in the eyes of the people, how this man, this unlikely candidate, became a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, who, when he passed by him while he was doing his work, said, follow me. And irresistibly, he was drawn by the power of God's grace, irresistibly, he was drawn to follow Christ. And then we read in Luke 5, verse 29 and 30, And Levi made him a great feast in his own house. And there was a great company of publicans and of others that sat down with him. But their scribes and Pharisees murmured against his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with publicans and sinners? Do you not know what kind of people they are? Why do you associate yourself with them? Why do you harm your own reputation by keeping company with publicans and sinners? and actually even eating and drinking with them. And to add insult to injury, Christ once said in Matthew 21, 31, Verily I say unto you that the publicans and the harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. No wonder they try to discredit him in every conceivable way. Luke 7, 34, they said about him, Behold a gluttonous man and a wine-bibber, a friend of publicans and of sinners. And in Luke 7, when this woman comes weeping, washing his feet, this woman who had been a sinner, they said in disdain, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that touches him, for she is a sinner. And in the passage we read, this familiar passage, Luke 15, again they uttered their utter disdain for the prophet of Nazareth. When they again murmured, it says, and the Pharisees and scribes murmured. Why? Because verse 1 of Luke 15 says, Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. And they murmured and said, This man, this one, actually it says, This one receiveth sinners and eateth with them. And the scribes and Pharisees did not realize how they honored him, how they honored him when they said disdainfully that he is a friend of publicans and of sinners. How they honored him when they said, this man receiveth sinners and he eats with them. They didn't realize the extraordinary theology of that statement. 
They didn't realize that by saying what they said, they could not have defined more precisely who the Lord Jesus was and why he came into this world. Oh, that he is a man who receives sinners and eats with them. This, this is his badge of honor, congregation. This is how he desires to be known. It is a common saying that a man's reputation is defined by the company he keeps. Christ wants to be known today. He desires to keep company with sinners. He wants again to demonstrate visibly this morning that this is who he is, that this is the heart of the gospel, that he receives sinners and that he eats with them. And that's with God's help we want to focus on that briefly this morning. And so the theme is a very simple one, boys and girls. Jesus and sinners, that's it. Jesus and sinners. We will see that this morning. This is what we will see at this table. Jesus and sinners. And two very simple points. He receives sinners and he eats with sinners. Congregation. Oh, that word sinner. Of course, what the Pharisees meant, they viewed themselves as righteous. And they looked, they despised, they despised the publicans and the sinners and the harlots. They were the offscouring of Jewish society. They were the men and women, we would say today, that dwell in our inner cities. And yet, we need to realize, congregation, that they ultimately represent who we are. We are sinners. And though we may have never lived such a lifestyle, we need to understand that in the core of our being, we are sinners. And far too often we use that word so lightly. And we fail to realize what a, what a serious thing it is to be a sinner. And the Bible defines that in various ways. And to sum it all up, to be a sinner means that from God's vantage point, we are rebels and failures. We rebel against Him, we rebel against His Word, and we fail to live for the purpose for which He created us. But now the amazing truth of the gospel is that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That is that faithful saying that is worthy of all acceptation. But unless we realize, experientially, not just theologically, not just intellectually, but unless we realize experientially what it means to be a sinner, we will never marvel at this truth. We will never value the gospel. And so in order to partake fruitfully of the Lord's table, we need to take our place as a sinner. This week was a, a week of preparation for the Lord's Supper. 
How did you fare this week? Are you coming here this morning as an accomplished Christian, pleased with yourself? Or perhaps you come here discouraged. Perhaps things worked out very differently. It's amazing what can happen during the week of preparation especially. Satan hates this event. He hates this moment. He knows that this table is a a special moment when Christ draws so very near to his people, where he comes so close to us, where, as it were, he shows us his pierced hands and his pierced side. He shows us the visible tokens of his love. And Satan then loves to go over time to make us look and focus upon ourselves. And yet there is, a, there is a necessary and healthy aspect to it. Because proper preparation means that we come here with a deep awareness of who we are and remain in ourselves with an awareness that there is truly nothing in me that qualifies me for my seat at that table. That's the one side of it the one side of the coin, but on the other hand, that we would come to this table, not as accomplished Christians, not resting in what we have experienced, not resting in what we feel or whatever else there may be, but that we would have come this morning and realize afresh that my only hope, my only hope is in Jesus Christ and Him crucified, that I have nothing to show for, that in the end, I am and remain a sinner and will remain a sinner until my dying days. I heard of and read of Luther in this week. He said, do you know where Jesus is? Do you know where find Jesus? You find him in the company of sinners. And unless he said, you are more than a sinner, you don't belong to that company. But you see, it's precisely when, that, when we have that painful, grieving awareness, and that is the mark of a true believer. The mark of a true believer is that, pain, that sin continues to be that painful reality, that painful reality with which we are confronted time and time again. And our Lord's Supper is designed specifically to encourage us once again to come, to come as a sinner to a table where we have a Savior, a Christ, who stands before us to declare, come my people, because that's who I am. I love to be in the company of my sinful people. I am the one who receiveth sinners and desires to eat with them. And of course, what these parables pointed out, especially the parable of the gracious Father, how willing and how ready He is to receive us again in this morning hour. He is more ready to receive us than we are ready to come. 
He so delights in mercy. He so yearns for your company. He so yearns for your presence. He so yearns to make himself known to you again in the breaking of the bread. Oh, we saw in the parable of the gracious father how ready that father was to receive his returning and his repenting son. Oh, we saw the beauty of that story that Christ used to illustrate to the scribes and Pharisees why it is or why it was that he received sinners and eats with them. Oh, he wanted them to see this is who my father is and I have come into this world to represent my father. A father in this parable who could not refrain himself when he saw his returning son, who did not wait for him to come to him, but who, who threw away all his dignity and who ran to this young, to this shabby young man, clothed in rags, with the smell of the pigs. And he embraced him, and he kissed him, he smothered him with his kisses to reassure him that he was so willing and so prepared to receive him. Oh, that willingness. God illustrated to the people of Israel again and again, also by way of the whole sacrificial system. Who were the priests? They were the ones who were always ready to receive sinners. No sinner who ever came to the tabernacle burdened with sin, accompanied by that appointed sacrificial enemy. No sinner who came there was ever turned away. God wanted Israel to know that because of that sacrifice, he was always ready to receive them over and over again. That's what Christ desires to be known. Oh, he wants us to know. That because of who he is, that he always welcomes sinners to come to him. That he will in no wise cast us out, not only for the first time, but over and over and over again. And so Luther said, he said, are you, are you troubled by your remaining sins? Are you troubled by your indwelling corruption? Just carry it with you. Bring it all along. Don't try to come in. Don't try to come to him and try to think of yourself any better than you are. Come. Come with all of your baggage. Come with all of your failures. Come with all of your shortcomings. But come. Oh, come to a Savior who is a Savior of sinners. As you know, the Puritans were fond of saying, for every look you take at yourself, take ten looks at Christ. That's again the purpose of this blessed sacrament. Oh, Christ wants us to be preoccupied with him, to be preoccupied with his person, to be preoccupied with his sacrifice, to be preoccupied with what he has accomplished in your place. And again, may that, be, may that be our privilege. May we come to this table and may we forget ourselves. May we do this in remembrance of him. Oh, this man, 
receive as sinners. What profound theology is wrapped up in that statement? Because this points us to the fact that he is indeed the man, Christ Jesus. That he is Emmanuel, God with us. That he came in the fullness of time, that he became a man in order to be our Savior and Redeemer. That he became a man so that he would be able to go to the cross of Calvary and suffer and die in the place of an innumerable multitude of sinners. But most importantly, that he became a man, that through his sacrifice, God and man could be reconciled, that God and man could be reunited. That's so beautifully expressed by this statement. This man receiveth sinners. Oh, that's God's good pleasure. That is God's delight. Oh, his delight is to draw sinners again to himself in his only begotten Son. It is God's good pleasure to be the God of sons and daughters of Adam. It is God's good pleasure to live in fellowship and communion with the sons and daughters of men. And to that end, he gave his Son. And that's why a prominent feature of this table is that it is a table of communion and of fellowship. It is a table at which, at which God in Christ comes so very near to us, in which he declares to us this morning, my people, I desire to commune with you. I desire to make myself known to you. I desire to unveil my countenance to you. I desire to let you look into my very heart to show you how very much I love you. I have loved you with an everlasting love and therefore have I drawn you with cords of loving kindness. And therefore I desire to gather you round about me and to make myself known to you. Oh, this man receiveth sinners. Oh, how offensive this is to the self-righteous. How offensive it is to those who think highly of themselves that by nature we all do. And what a mighty work of the Holy Spirit is necessary to make us what we are. That's what the Spirit of God does. He makes us what we are, namely sinners. Nothing more than that, sinners. And yet, sinners who therefore will be irresistibly attracted to this Jesus who receives sinners and who eats with them. You will hear me say this often. The very mark of his saving work, and I pointed it out last week when, I, when we preached on John 6, 6, verse 45. Every man that has heard and learned of the Father cometh unto me. As I said last week, when, when the Father works in us by His Spirit, when he, he, what He will do, He will make His Son, His precious Son, the Lord Jesus, He will make Him so irresistibly attractive to us, so irresistibly beautiful, that we cannot but come to Him. That He becomes that altogether lovely Christ. 
that Christ that meets the need of my guilty and polluted soul, that Christ who fits my soul as precisely as a key fits a lock. And he eats with them. That's our second point. It's, I've been weaving it already through, but he eats with them. You have to understand that in that culture, a meal was far more important than it is in our culture. As a matter of fact, we are losing something. We, our lives have become so very, very busy that we hardly have time to eat. That's why in our culture, fast food is so very popular because that fits our, our lifestyle. But in Bible times, a meal, especially the major meal, would sometimes be a three-hour event because people would not just gather to eat. But the eating of that meal would always be a means whereby you would have fellowship with all those who would gather round about your table. That's why Levi, Levi, he, he, oh, he had this meal to which publicans and sinners were invited to sit down with him and with the Savior. And so when you invited someone to your table, you were communicating to that individual that you did not just want to provide them with a delicious meal, but you were communing, I, I'm inviting you because I want to fellowship with you. I want to get to know you better. I want to communicate with you. It was a time of fellowship. It was a time of fellowship. And of course, in that culture, is that your own reputation... Your own reputation was defined by the people that you would invite to your table. And so when you belong to the upper class, when you belong to the elite, you would never invite someone to your table that in any way would be detrimental to your own name and reputation. And that's why the Pharisees, who thought so highly of themselves who were so righteous in their own eyes, they said, if this man were a true rabbi, he would not keep company with such people. Why would he sit down and eat with publicans and with harlots and with sinners? They were flabbergasted. How can a man claim to be a rabbi? And again, they absolutely did not understand who Christ was. Oh, this is the beauty of the Lord's table. Oh, Christ is saying, my people, not only do I desire to receive you, not only is, I, is it my desire that you come to me again and again, that you come to me with all of your sin, with your remaining sin, with your indwelling corruption, with all that testifies against you. Not only do I want, to I want you to come to me, but I want to commune with you. I want to have fellowship with you. I want it to be known that that's the company that I desire to keep. I delight in your company. I delight in eating with my sinful people. And so Jesus, by eating with publicans and sinners, he made himself of no reputation. 
who being in the form of God, Paul writes, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. Oh, this table demonstrates to us why it is possible that he who is none other than God manifest in the flesh, why he can sit down and eat with sinners, with publicans, and with harlots. This is a display of God's good pleasure. We sang together from Psalm 132, that beautiful psalm where God says, I have chosen Zion. It is my delight to dwell in Zion. Here I delight to dwell. That's what Christ wants to visibly affirm again this morning. Here I delight to be. I delight to be in the company of my people. I delight to have my people gather round about me. I delight to commune with them. I delight to have fellowship with them. I delight to make myself known to them. Oh, what an amazing thing the Lord's Supper, therefore, is. Because it is a preview of that which is to come, a preview of that great and eternal marriage supper of the Lamb, a preview of that glorious future when God in Christ will forever dwell in the midst of His people. This is a preview of it. Oh, He delights to eat with them. Of course, the purpose of a meal is also to nourish and to strengthen. That's what Christ delights to do. Oh, he wants us to come and by faith feed upon him. He wants us to feed upon his finished work. To find our strength and to find our joy in him. In order that also this supper would teach us The essential lesson of spiritual life is to abide in Him. That's the desire of the Savior, to be so enamored by Him, so enamored by His love, to be so nourished by who He is and what He has done, that we would also learn to abide in Him. Because that should be the blessed fruit of this Lord's table. Because Christ deals with us interacts with us, draws us to himself in order also to transform us. And so how will we know whether we have benefited from the Lord's table? It should manifest itself in how we live because interaction with Jesus, interaction feeding upon him, being with him, having fellowship with him, should manifest itself in an increasing likeness to him. Oh, this man receiveth sinners, and he eats with them. Oh, we pray that we would grasp some of that wonder this morning, that we would realize the desire of your Savior to nourish you, to make himself known to you, to open his heart to you, so that you would, as it were, hear the heartbeat of this Christ. 
Because once again, you would realize afresh something we need to realize over and over again. How much He delights in us. Oh, we find that so hard to believe. We can understand why a sinner would delight in Jesus. But He delights in us. He desires your company. He wants to be known as a Savior who loves to dwell in the midst of His people. And so may God remove all obstacles. And may He bring us to this table. A table of a Savior. Oh, I say it again. A Savior who saved you this morning, my people, with desire. With desire have I desired to have this pass over with you. Oh, my people, I long for your company. I long for your presence. I long to eat with you, to have fellowship with you, to commune with you. And so even though the Lord's Supper is not a converting ordinance, it's not, it's a it's a sacrament that is meant for the edification of the believer. The congregation, I need to ask you, what do you think of this Christ? Have you already come to this Christ? Have you taken refuge to Him? Because this blessed truth is the heart of the gospel. This is a Savior who is always ready to receive sinners, always willing, a Savior who will never turn away a sinner that takes refuge to Him, a sinner who draws near to us in the gospel and who stretches forth His loving arms and says, Sinner, come to me, come to me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I hope and pray that even the administration of the Lord's Supper will be a visible gospel to you, a visible reminder of this essential truth of the gospel, and that even this sacrament would encourage you too, as a poor and needy sinner, to take refuge to this Savior who receives sinners. Amen.